Would you open your Bibles with me first to Matthew chapter 1? It can be found in your pew Bible on page 1,496. Once again, this uh, Advent season, we are looking at what is often called or sometimes called the mothers of Christ, uh, the women who are mentioned in Matthew's genealogy and the grace of God extended to us and the way that he worked in these uh, women's lives to bring about our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, uh, starting with Matthew 1, here now the reading of God's holy word. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, and here our uh, mother of Christ this morning, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathen, Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ." Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to, to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. It's important that we uh, make mention that Matthew's genealogy is written for a specific purpose. It is not a conclusive whole list of all the descendants of Jesus Christ. It's selective in who he chose, particularly Matthew wants to show Jesus' Jewish roots, whereas Luke is often described as showing Jesus' universal roots, uh, describing his genealogy all the way back to Adam. But the question for us is, why mention the women that he mentions? Why, why Tamar? Why Rahab? Why Ruth? Why Bathsheba? And I believe it's because Matthew displays these women as jewels of God's grace, often to women of shady character, as we might view them, often to women who were not of Jewish heritage, to show uh, that Christ came for all the world and for all sinners. So let's look at uh, Joshua chapter 2 in our story this morning. Rahab, uh, Joshua 2 is on your, uh, in your P Bible on page 332. 
Uh, now, we need to see at this time that uh, Moses has died, and Joshua has taken over the leadership of Israel, and he is supposed to be seen as the new Moses. And so, Joshua's instructions in the beginning of the book of Joshua are very much like Moses' instructions. Remain faithful to the Lord. Uh, follow his Torah, the law. And, and then um, we see a transferring of leadership. And here in chapter 2, um, we see that Joshua, just like Moses, sends spies into the promised land. One of which was Joshua and, of course, Caleb, uh, the, one, the two faithful spies in the first spy narrative. But let's look at uh, chapter 2 here as the Israelites prepare to go into the land of Canaan and, uh, and conquest it with battle. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. For when you came out of Egypt... And what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven, above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. The men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days, until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands, all the people are melting in fear because of us. 
Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Rahab escapes the judgment of God by faith in the coming Messiah. Rahab escapes the judgment of God by, by faith in the coming Messiah. What I want us to see here in this story is three things that we're going to look at. I want us to look from three different perspectives, so to speak. The soldier's perspective, or the spies, you could say. The spy's perspective, Rahab's perspective, and then finally, God's perspective on this narrative. This is a very, very interesting story. And although we do not have uh, much extra-biblical uh, conversations about Tamar, we do have quite a bit more information about Rahab. Um, we are told that she is in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, commended for trusting in the Lord by guiding or protecting the spies that came to her. We're told in the book of James that she is to be compared to Abraham and the fact that her faith displayed its reality by her actions. So let's look at the Rahab narrative. First, let's look at the spy's perspective. We see here that at the beginning, there is a quick arrival of the spies in this narrative. Joshua, son of Nun, sends them secretly into the land. He says, go over and look at the land, especially Jericho. Now, what's interesting about Joshua 2 and the Jericho narrative is that, is, is, if that, is that if you were to skip over Joshua 2 and read the book of Joshua, you wouldn't really be missing out on much. And if you were to realize that the point of sending spies into the city was to figure out militarily how you could conquer this city, you would find it very strange to then continue reading and realizing that what we are seeing at Jericho is that the Israelites are to be passive and to trust that this is God's battle. And their military conquest of Jericho does not include any sort of instruction as to the weakness of the walls around Jericho or the inner uh, makings of the city, but they just simply walk around the city and blow the trumpets, and the walls come tumbling down. So what is Joshua 2 doing here? It's here because the soldiers, these spies, are meant providentially to go to Rahab's house and to hear her testimony and to be encouraged by it. So let's look at that. They enter into the city, into the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and stayed there. This word is the same word for prostitute that was used in the Tamar narrative. That's what she is, although at the time, this place would have been much like an inn. You would come for uh, staying, and if you were spies, what better place to not be seen than in a place 
that had various different people in it, a place where visitors from other places would go and stay as, as if a hotel or, or an inn. And what other place would be better to receive intel, to learn information than to talk to these people at Rahab's inn? But it remains the same. Rahab is a prostitute. She offers her services. Therefore, once again, we see that Jesus' descendants are marked with sin. So as if to point us to the grace of God and the reason for Christ coming in the first place. So the spies continue. We're told the king of Jericho learns of this information. Some of the Israelites have come here tonight. They go to Rahab. They send a message. Bring them out, they say. Verse 4, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they'd come from at dusk. When it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. So she redirects these uh, soldiers from the king of Jericho, sends them on their way. She even almost says, hurry, the gate's about to close because the gates at the end of the night would close in these cities. Hurry, they went out the gate. If you go out the gate, you can catch them. So you get this idea that there's suspense being built here. There's suspense. It's leading up to a climax. It's leading up to the point of this whole chapter. In verse 7, we're told, So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. As soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. The suspense that you should feel here is that Rahab has hidden these spies in her house, and the gates are shut. They're trapped in this city. They're trapped. How are they going to get out? And the author of this chapter almost wants to leave us with that suspense. Because many of us are familiar with the story. Many of us know, okay, they get, she lives in the wall. She has a, a window. She lets them out through the window. But imagine you were reading this for the first time and you hear that they're trapped in the city. How are they going to get out? How is God going to show his power and his might in this situation? And then we hear the confession of Rahab. Verses 8 and following. Verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and when you, what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven and above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. This is what... Joshua chapter 2 is pointing to. It leaves you with that suspense and it says, you don't need to worry about how the spies are going to get out of their situation because what you need to hear, what's really important here is this expression of a Canaanite prostitute's faith in the God of Israel. 
But right now we're considering the spy's perspective. So look at the way that they respond to this providential moment that Yahweh God has ordered. They say, our lives for your lives. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully. When the Lord gives us the lamb. Do you see the the spy's expression of faith? That is that they are so encouraged by this foreign woman's words. They are so encouraged by what she says. The fact that she is saying that the story of the Israelite people and the God that leads them by the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire has gone out into the land and that the people's hearts are melting because the fear of God has gone over them, emboldens them. I want you to consider the story of Gideon. A similar situation occurred. Gideon, of course, had doubts. The fleece again and again, right? He wants to make sure that God is with him. But one thing that Gideon didn't ask for was that he went down into the camp at night and he listened to a couple of enemy soldiers talking in a tent. And one enemy soldier described a dream that he had. And the other enemy soldier said, This must be Gideon, for the Lord has given us into their hands, and our hearts are melting before them. And that emboldened Gideon to hear the testimony of the enemy. And we know that this happens for these spies because they say here, we will treat you kindly and faithfully if the Lord gives us the land. No. When the Lord gives us the land. Trust in the promise of God. Then, of course, we see as they go back to Joshua at the end of the chapter, they escape, of course. That they say these words to Joshua. Verse 24. The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Almost word for word, the words of Rahab's profession of faith to Joshua. That's why the spies came. That's the perspective of the spies. But let's look at Rahab's perspective for a moment. We see Rahab does something profound here. It should not be overlooked. We see that she has heard of this God. The stories of these people, of God's faithfulness to his people, the splitting of the Red Sea, right? The conqueror of the Amorite kings, Sihon and Og, and how they were devoted to destruction. But listen to the words she says here. Verse 11. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, for Yahweh, your God, is God in heaven above and on the earth below. What we need to see here is that Rahab is a prostitute completely immersed in Canaanite culture and practice. She has been raised to believe in a plethora of gods. She has been raised to believe in gods that are pleased by child sacrifice. She has been raised to believe in gods that are pleased 
when you encounter or experience sexual acts for their blessing. This is Rahab, the Canaanite, living in Jericho, who is now having a profound worldview change. Because she is saying, she is recognizing, she is saying and proclaiming that Yahweh God is the only true God. And all the gods I have been raised to believe in are false, are fake, are powerless. That's her profession of faith. That is what she is proclaiming. And listen, listen. Not only is she saying God is mighty and powerful. God is majestic. She's saying, reaching out in faith. Could this God also be merciful? Could this God also be merciful? Verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign. What Rahab is doing here is much larger than what we read here. She is saying to the two Israelites before her, representatives of the people of God, I know I am not ethnically a part of Israel, but can I spiritually be a part of Israel? That in the name of the Lord, could you show me hesed? That's the word there, kindness. Hesed. It's the word repeated over and over again in the Psalms that speaks of God's covenant love for his people. God's covenant grace. She's saying, in the name of Yahweh, can you show me loving kindness? mercy and can you give me a sign she is abandoning wholesale her entire way of life for the way of Christ what we don't think about here what we don't see here is that from Rahab's perspective, things could possibly just continue going on as they always have. She could continue making money at her inn. She could continue in the culture of the Canaanites. Because from her perspective... The big, strong, powerful walls of Jericho are going to keep standing. But she says, no, I abandon everything that I know and everything that I can see right now for what I believe will come. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the things which we yet cannot see. Rahab believes she has faith. They say our lives for your lives. Now listen, it continues to go on. She lets them down by a rope through the window. We're told the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She directs the spies to go the opposite direction of the soldiers that were pursuing them. 
And then the men say to her, this oath is only going to be held if you do not tell on us and if you bring all the people into your house and you uh, wrap this scarlet cord on the outside of your house so that we can see. We can see that you and your household uh, is in that home. This is Rahab's part of the story. And it's not over. If you read in Joshua 6, when they come and they defeat Jericho, we're told these words in verse 22. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. In verse 25, But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. See, this is a perfect opportunity to speak to you about God's perspective when it comes to Joshua 2 and Rahab. The reason Joshua 2 exists in the Bible is because God had a sheep that was there in that city. Because God had a member of his people in that city. The reason that the spies ended up at Rahab's house is because they needed to hear the true confession of that Canaanite woman and know that she belongs to spiritual Israel. Now, there's been much conversation about that scarlet cord and whether it's right for us to tie that to the blood of Christ or not. But I do think there is a way in which we can see the grace given to the breaking in of the Gentiles here from God's perspective. There's a way that we can see that here in the story of Rahab, we are already being tuned into the reality that God's people is not defined ethnically, but God's people is defined by true faith, the faith such as expressed by Rahab. We are here seeing the engrafting of the Gentiles into the people of God in such a way, in such a beautiful, wholesome way that we see that Rahab herself marries into the people of God and becomes a foremother of Jesus Christ. The way that we can do that is to see in this Rahab narrative allusions to the exodus of God's people. See, I named the sermon this morning Waiting for Judgment because what is meant to happen to Jericho is a picture for us of the judgment against sin to come. It is to be devoted totally to destruction. Judgment is coming just as the Israelites in Egypt heard of the angel of the Lord who was going to come and to wipe out the firstborns. They were told, go into your house. Take the blood of a lamb 
and smear it on your doorposts. And the judgment of God will pass over you. In the same way, Rahab is told, bring all your family into your house and place a red marking on that house so that the judgment of God that is coming for all those who do not have faith in Christ will pass over you, will pass over your family. And of course, we all know and believe that that Passover lamb points to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And we can also almost see Rahab going throughout that city and saying, if you don't want to, the judgment of God to come upon you, come into this house. Come into this house, the one marked by the scarlet cord. But none listened. None heard. And heard and believed. In the same way, Christ came into this world that the judgment of God may pass over us. We see it vividly in the story of Rahab. She lives on in Israel. She lives on in our family tradition, one who belongs in the great hall of faith of Hebrews 11, one whose faithful actions are commended in the book of James. And Matthew places her in the genealogy of Jesus Christ like a sparkling gem to display the wonderful grace of that we may know, that we may know that if God can save a Canaanite prostitute, God can save us. For many of us, this rings true. For many of us, I hope, we see in the life of Rahab ourselves, sinners, in need of God's grace, sinners who felt the weight of their sin and long awaited for that coming Messiah. The one born of the Virgin Mary who suffered under Pontius Pilate. That Savior who takes away the sins of the world that we need, that Rahab needed. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your words. May they comfort us as we consider the coming of our Savior in this Advent season and even his second coming. That we may all the more be encouraged by your grace extended to us in Jesus Christ. That your judgment has passed over us because of the blood of the Lamb. And Father, that we may all the more be encouraged to consider others as we wait for the coming of your Son again to judge the living and the dead and to know that as long as it is today, your gospel continues to go out and powerfully convert sinners.
just as it converted us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.